Douglas's Women is the fictional retelling of the life of an American hero, Frederick Douglass, told through the eyes of the two women who loved him, his wife and his mistress. Anna Douglas, a free woman of color, was his wife of 44 years who bore him five children. Potili Asing, a German-Jewish fan of his, provided him the intellectual companionship that he craved. Author Jewel Parker Rhodes vividly portrays the life they led together under the same roof, filled with passions and resentments. Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Piper Hugley, the author of one of my favorite books of the year, called By Her Own Design, a novel of Anne Lowe, fashion designer to the social register. Piper is also a professor of American literature and the author of several historical romances. We had a great time talking about why Piper thinks historical fiction gets butts into chairs of history classes, why it's important to learn about the wives of the great men of history, and why a complete picture of a respected icon like Frederick Douglass enhances rather than diminishes our understanding of him. Good morning, Piper. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you for having me, Julie. I appreciate it. I might have to sit on my hands today because I'm super, super excited to talk to you and I have to try to act calm and not fangirl out. I have followed you for a very long time as a romance author, but you recently debuted your first historical fiction. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Will you tell my listeners about your book by her own design? By Her Own Design is a historical fiction novel. It's what technically is called a biographical historical fiction novel that follows the life of Anne Lowe, who was a Black fashion designer who's best known for designing Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy's wedding gown in 1953. That is what she's best known for. And the book is about her climb uh, from being born in very rural Clayton, Alabama, 1898, to being a fashion designer to the haute couture. Uh, She designed gowns for the wealthiest people in the United States, DuPonts, Vanderbilts, Rockefellers, Roosevelt's, and uh, the Auchincloss clan, which is how she came in contact with Jackie. And uh, that's that's who she was. So it's it's quite a story about uh, her transformation from, I say, very rural. If you've ever been to eastern Alabama, then you would know. Really? <laughs> it's not New York City. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. How did you learn about her? Well, I had known about her in the back of my mind. Partly, in fact, due to me knowing about Black history, partly because I've always been a Kennedy aficionado, uh, but it was actually Twitter when my editor, who had, I had also known from some romance conventions, uh, et cetera, I'd never pitched her, but we just came to know one another. And um, she tweeted out, retweeted an article saying, will someone please write me this novel? <laughs> And you said challenge accepted. Uh, yeah, I read the article that she did. And then I went, looked on the internet to see what else was out there. And I knew instantly, I was like, okay, this is a novel. And I'd been working on a biographical, a historical novel of some other people. 
But I said, this would enable me to get a foot in the door to starting what I call phase two of my writing career. So I was like, yes, I'm on it. I let my agent know and I wrote up the prologue. It was practically, the prologue was practically just came to me as it was and uh, sent it off to her in order to be able to say, this is it. I'm the one. <laughs> Don't let anybody else. <laughs> no one else gets her. No one else gets her. So. Committing to a book about someone is a big deal. It's a long-term commitment. So what about her life? I mean, there must have been a point where you said, am I willing to live with this woman for the next however long it takes me to write? But also for the rest of your life, you're going to be answering questions about this book for the rest of your life. So what about her interested you the most that made you say, "I'm, I'm ready to give my all for this one? Her determination, Mm. for one thing, uh, in pursuit of uh, her dream, I thought was very inspirational. Also, the fact that uh, for me, this part two is about uplifting these uh, unsung Black women and partly uh, me being a little pissed off. (laughs) People don't know that I didn't even know someone who's supposedly an expert in Black history because I teach it didn't know enough about her for for her to at least be included in the conversation every February and now March. I mean, and and so to me, this was a fact of this woman needs to be uplifted. She needs to be talked about. She needs her uh, exhibit. She needs the comprehensive scholarly biography. And I've always believed in the power of historical fiction to do what I call putting butts in seats in history <laughs> classes mm-hmm. to get people intrigued enough. Maybe someone out there would do that work. And there, there will be an exhibit next year in at the Winter Fair in Delaware. So that's one thing that's ticked off. But uh, yeah, the other thing with that comprehensive scholarly biography of an artist, mm-hmm. that's the next thing that I hope will happen. Were you already a fashion person or did you understand the workings of high fashion or was this something that you had to learn as you started working on this? I am the nerdy child of two fashionistas. Oh, okay. Yes. And my mother was also someone who sewed. I cannot sew a lick. I had all of that in my background, which was another thing that like, let me know. Yeah, I could do this. I'm, I'm, that's what, this is what I'm supposed to do. So. Where is Jackie Kennedy's dress now? Is it, it is held back, you know, from display now. Um, it's the Kennedy JFK Library in Boston. What is on display is a paper duplicate that an artist did some years ago. Uh, so it is not on display. Part of the reason why it is not on display, of course, it's fragile, Um, among and low gowns or or whatever amongst the other ones that are on display which four of them are on display at the Met right now but this gown is made of 50 yards of ivory silk taffeta and have it hanging with further damage it it's really the kind of thing that if it's going to be seen it should be laid out on a table So they took it off display and commissioned an artist to do this paper recreation. And apparently a recreation is part of what's going to be happening next year for the exhibit. 
uh, in Delaware because the exhibit is in part to commemorate Jackie and Jack's 70th wedding anniversary. You know, I've been thinking about that, about fashion. I'm not a child of fashionistas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about particularly high fashion. Mm -hmm. But I've been thinking a lot about fashion as art ever since the whole Kim K wearing Mm -hmm. Marilyn's dress. Mm -hmm. And I've really been turning it over. What is what do we do with fashion as art, particularly when it comes to women like Anne Lowe, who do not have the exposure that they should have? Is it more important that we preserve it at all costs or is it more important that we display it and show people? And I, I honestly don't know the right answer to that. Like, what do you think of that? Well, I, I think we can do both. And I honestly think the the Kim Kardashian thing was about money and getting people well, to come yeah. to the museum and not telling celebrities no. I mean, there's all of that that's wrapped up into that sad travesty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I call Ann Lowe an artist because every one of her designs were custom made for that person. It was mm-hmm. even said that a woman could come to the shop without undergarments on. She would build the undergarments into the gown because the line and the way that that impacted the way the dress fit and everything was all part of her craft. So um, just those things or the other dress that she's most famous for is the gown that Olivia de Havilland wore when she won her first Oscar in 1947. Okay. That I believe uh, after looking around a bit, kind of began to herald the strapless gown era. We take strapless gowns for granted anymore, especially bridal. Uh, but in 1947, this was still a relatively new thing. It was very fashion forward. And for people who go and Google it, which I hope you do, you'll see that the gown has a floral painting from the top of the dress at the bust line all the way down to the bottom, which she did by hand. She did not stencil that floral painting on. So she's an artist. This is all she wanted to do was to do these dresses for these women. So the dresses are works of art that are artifacts. For me, that was part of the research process in order to be able to take a look at them. I never knew her name, but I, like a most history um, that I learned, I had always heard, you know, did she know her dress was designed by a Black woman? Isn't that interesting? And that was the most I ever heard. And, and that was it. Mm-hmm. No name. No name. And no story of that. And that's the, that's the, why would that have happened? That is interesting is how it got there. But of course, until your book, I never heard that. Someone said to me as as I was promoting, he said, you know, people just think, oh, it's just some black woman making dresses. When you say it that way, did you know a black woman did her dresses? Mm -hmm. It it sounds that's exactly how it sounds like Mm -hmm. the dress came out of Jackie Kennedy and some black woman just sewed it. And that's not at all what happened. Mm-mm. And even um, and like even one of the most famous Jackie bios, oh, oh, Jackie by Kitty Kelly. She's the family seamstress. 
She has no name. Um, and that, first of all, she had was, like I said, uh, the, these women who were wealthy, she had been designing for them for decades. She had gotten uh, a commission to do um, Jackie's mother's second wedding outfit. That's how she came to the family and designed the the dresses that were Jackie was Deb of the year in 1947, where her sister was Deb of the year four years later. She had an ongoing relationship with this family. She was not just some seamstress. And isn't it fascinating that we, when we look about, when we look on the women who we consider fashion icons, we put the credit on them. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. what you're telling me is essentially Jackie Kennedy and her sister and mother probably walked in there in the nude and Ann Lowe went, here's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we give the credit to the person wearing the dress. Unless they say, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, so-and-so did this, which is part of the process. But if you don't get that someone to say, Ann Lowe, then it just, the, the silence is almost the same, you know, as just completely erasing her. Not saying means that she doesn't get more commissions and people are not asking her to do things and instilling difficulty. And a white woman taking the credit for the beauty of the gown when really she just has the bone structure. Yeah. But she didn't like the dress. So that, that was all in there too. That was also not Ann Lowe's fault. But that also was in there as well. Oh, God, I love a drama. (laughs) (laughs) We're into that messy reality drama. Yeah, you know, all this stuff about, well, she should have done what, uh, well, the whole notion of Bridezilla is a relatively recent phenomenon, you know. And that was part of the, the challenge in portraying Jackie, not as Jackie, the global icon, but who she was before that. And who she was before that, even at 23, 24 years old, was still this relatively sheltered, shy, not able to speak up for herself kind of person who could be manipulated. And Ann Lowe saw that? Well, not Ann Lowe saw that, but every people who have questions about why didn't Ann Lowe do what Jackie wanted, this whole notion of what Jackie wanted, the wedding was meant to be a coronation for JFK. There were 800 guests at the church oh and 1,200 guests, the entire United States Senate. Oh, my God. And their wives at the church and then 1,200 at Hammersmith Farm for the reception. This was a coronation that Joe Kennedy was putting on and paying for. And, you know, some dress that was more in line with a more uh, sleek, sophisticated Parisian kind of uh, dress was not in the offing when the whole aspect was, this wedding is big, your dress needs to be big. And that's who was paying. So that's what Jackie got. I see. Now, are you a big historical fiction reader? Oh, yeah. Is that your preferred genre? It is. It is. I was just saying for me to know the market. Were you always a reader? Yes. Um, from the time I actually apparently learned when I was three. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And uh, ruined my eyesight in subsequent <laughs> years. 
uh, <laughs> when I'm supposed to be in bed, I'm in the hallway, you know, my parents' bedroom light, you know, trying mm-hmm. to read that way. It's always been a thing for me. Uh, when it was my sister's birthday, uh, the thing my parents would do would be to get me a book so I wouldn't be jealous. Like, oh, happy <laughs> birthday, sister. I'm going off reading my book. Does that still happen? Do you get a book on your sister's Every, birthday? Yep. Mm-hmm, yep. I, I was slow. <laughs> May 5th. I'm getting the one that I want, something that might have been on the fringes. Maybe I wasn't approved for it on that galley. Now, since I have that kind of entree, I'll go ahead and treat myself. <laughs> you know what? Today is my sister's birthday. I'm going to go buy myself a book. <laughs> I think that is an excellent tradition. <laughs> I guess something must have started it, you know, in terms of like, why is she acting all strange? It's because it's her sister's birthday. I'll give her a book. Let's up. just quiet her down. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Oh, this I like this tradition. I, I'm not kidding. As soon as I hang up with you, I'm gonna call my sister and say, Happy birthday. I'm going to buy myself a book. <laughs> Do you remember how you found this book that we're talking about today, Douglas's Women? I don't. I know I was in graduate school and you know, I'm always doing the reading I'm supposed to be doing, but yeah, I still I didn't never stop, you know, doing outside reading. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't remember how I came across Douglas's women, but I was so glad that I did. I am an English literature professor. Or yeah, we for United States literature. Okay. So yeah, my time period is, that I do uh, teach literature in is like from civil war to civil rights, as some people <laughs> call that a hundred years uh, or so. But increasingly, I've had to teach history to my students in order for them to get the understanding of the literature. So over the years, uh, more and more of my uh, historical uh, study got folded into that. It was also thankfully part of um, my program on the way to the PhD. And it was always there as a little seed. I think I said my mother was a seamstress. So I was always something historical for Halloween. (laughs) Betsy Ross or a pilgrim. There was this one pattern she was able to transform into several of these historical things. So then before you actually read this book, did you have, did you have a strong grip on Frederick Douglass? Did you have a real sense of his history outside of his writing? I did, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of Frederick Douglass, uh, as the man, mm-hmm. as the you know, most famous Black man of the 19th century, uh, I did. Uh, but in terms of the backdrop of his personal life, especially because in the text that always gets taught, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, his first of three autobiographies, he does that on purpose. He draws a veil down over his personal life, uh, very much in um, line with the Victorian sensibility of when you marry, that woman is of your flesh. So it is perfectly appropriate to not say anything, not reveal anything about her. Tell our listeners what this book is about, Douglas's Women. Douglas's Women by Jewel Parker Rhodes is, I believe, uh, the book that launched a genre that I call Wife of Stories that subsequently after this book, I'm I'm still looking for somebody before this book, but after this book launched many other historical fiction novels that told 
from the point of view of the wives of great men. Douglas's women, which is plural, I'm not mispronouncing it, <laughs> is a dual timeline. Also, another thing that got folded into historical fiction as a genre, um, dual timeline between Frederick Douglass's wife and his mistress, his black wife, Anna, and his white mistress, Ottilie Asning. Yeah, an early example of that, uh, I think the best example of it, which is why I picked it for best book ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me what you like about it. Really, the Anna Douglas, for those who don't know, was a free woman. Douglas met her when he was enslaved in Baltimore. She was older than he was, um, but she was illiterate. And one of the ongoing things about Frederick Douglass was his um, his passion for literacy, the lengths that he went to to become literate. Um, but Anna was responsible for his liberation. Uh, Frederick Douglass, when he ran away, he ran away taking two trains and a boat. Part of the ruse was that he was a sailor. She sewed him the suit. Uh, and he wrote out the passes that enabled him to get uh, from Baltimore to New York um, initially to freedom. And uh, she went there uh, and met him and they married. Uh, Attili Assening was someone whom he met while he was on tour in Europe promoting his autobiography, uh, a groupie as it were. So I always have this thing when I talk to my students about Frederick Douglass, I say Freddie was a rock star. Understand. There were groupies. Yeah, what a perfect way to describe it. Many (laughs) groupies backstage uh, there. Um, And to get them to understand, is one of the most photographed men of the 19th century and fine as all get out. Oh, yeah. With that deep voice, I personally am a sucker for voice. So that would have been it for me. But, you know, to get people to understand that he had this uh, great magnetism and what Rhodes does so well is especially portray that inner life of Anna, uh, who has so many other qualities to recommend her and uplift her and, and the way that Douglas uses her. Again, part of my ongoing saga to uplift Black women, uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, this book just struck such a deep and resonant chord within me. And she's equally able to portray Attilie Asning uh, in the uh, obsessed way that she was with Frederick Douglass. So uh, it's a real... Um, in my my estimation, masterpiece of the genre. Does it change your opinion of Frederick Douglass to know this sort of double? Well, it, I we, you wouldn't even call it a double life. He he didn't no, lie. It was no, he didn't lie. No, she she moves in the house. She, yeah, she lives with them that, down the hall. That was so crazy. Yeah. So um, so did it change how you how you look at him? Well, I just say, and I'm I'm someone who's an advocate of more complete history. Let's tell the let's tell historical truths of everything. This is part of the problem, I think, with why people think history is boring in in classrooms. That's because what we uh, 
what is put forward for us is a very narrowly defined series of dates, great men, all this other kind of stuff that is very curated for us to believe in as some kind of uplifting mythology, which is not the complete history because a lot of people have been kicked to the side, erased, whitewashed out of it, whatever you want to call it. And Frederick Mm -hmm. Douglass, even as a Black man, is no exception to say every February, here we have this great lion-headed man. We must put up his poster and venerate him. Well, sure, let's do that. But let's talk about him as a man as well, who, you know, married Anna. And so he could purposefully keep her under his feet. I mean, you know, it's just, she was supporting him. (laughs) I mean, it was not even like, you know, he was making the lion's share of the money and and that, uh, in conventional 19th century, but he wouldn't have had a home, not mm-hmm. much less the children, et cetera, if it was not for Anna, who kept working. The thanks she got for that was to have the mistress move down the hall <laughs> quite openly. So, I mean, this one thing in terms of the complete history, not to, meant to tear down somebody, but to just say, this is who this man was. And my students who would sometimes come into 19th century United States literature, where I would teach the narrative for the life of Frederick Douglass, they, you know, start to call it historical tea. You call it tea if you want to. If it engages you, that's great. But, you know, they would start at the beginning of the term, or maybe I'd see them in the hall before the 19th century is born. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) It's because you don't know. And this is the thing. We need to know it all. That's my perspective. I had a funny reaction to it because at first I was, I I didn't like her. I didn't like how do you say her name? Otile? Uh-huh, Otile. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not particularly likable. And I just thought, I don't, uh, I don't want to sully my opinion of him. But then by the end, I like that he's very complex and very sexual and very mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, flawed. Very flawed. He's human. He's he human. was very human now. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's a funny experience to go through because you kind of feel like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to ruin this. Oh, yeah. I've had, I've had people like get up and leave the table or something like that from talking about it. You know? mm. it's like They don't want their little mythology ruined with the yeah. truth. But he's fascinating and it makes mm-hmm. him it makes him mm-hmm. rounded. I mean, where is his Netflix show? Okay. Oh, oh no! Kidding. Know. Okay, all of these years. It's, where is that miniseries? Oh my god! Can you imagine? It would be. Oh so yes, great. I totally can imagine. And the fact that it's not been done yet is a travesty to me. I don't understand it because it is high drama. Very high drama, and the stakes are really, really high in his mm-hmm. life. Yes. In a 19th century country where the Bible is the foremost text, he's a Black man going out here trying to convince the population of this great wrong in terms of enslavement. And this is his background. I mean, it's just like the parallels. A thing that I love is that she, uh, uh, Anna, Mm -hmm. refused to learn how to read. I know, me too. 
Okay. <laughs> and isn't that the thing we're up here talking about, you know, best books ever and reading and all this stuff? I mean, the ones with things like, you know, when Frederick says to her, Anna, why? Why won't you not be? Why not? If you look for me, Anna, blah, blah. And she's like, it is no way about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just loved it. Well, to me, it was women are going to assert their power. It it might be very tiny, but they're going to do it where they can. And this is the same thing. You know, in history books, they say things like his first wife, Anna, was illiterate and it's just sort of brushed over. Yep. And I love that Jewel Parker Rhodes gave her that agency of, no, no. Yep. It wasn't just that Mm -hmm. she was illiterate. It was that she decided, Mm -hmm. guess who doesn't get to choose? Right. Right. And, and I, I love that stubbornness about her. It's, it's amazing. Because it's no longer then about lack of intelligence. Any of these things that right, we, can, right. we can judge her for. And, and now all of a sudden it's a, it's a power thing. And she said, no, guess what? You don't get to tell me what mm-hmm. you do when you're bringing your mistress exactly. into my house. I like that about her. And she, she bought a house. I mean, she's not dumb. No. You know? Right. That whole aspect in terms of reifying, let's say, her sphere of influence to purchase a home. Right. Because he sure was not bringing any money. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. An amazing woman that, like I said, does the work of restoring this portrayal of Anna to history. That, again, some other. Um, scholars other scholars who are interested who will do it will go back and provide that more in-depth complex uh reality in terms of a scholarly biography about a woman who was not a slave and I said her choice but slavery enslavement is all about taking away all of your choices Mm -hmm. so she was letting him know you tried (laughs) you tried it to put me in this kind of situation where you think I'm enslaved, which is what is so fascinating about what he's doing. But I have this choice. I'm not going to let her read. So there, how you like that, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next question for you is, do you think this is a love story? Mm, no. <laughs> Historical fiction, that's not one of the requirements. And I think part of this in terms of if historical fiction is about beginning to restore these people who should be part of the history back into the history, then, you know, more than likely, that's that's not going to end up like that. It felt like it could have been, though, right? Like, both of these women loved him very hard. Mm -hmm. Oteil in a very Mm -hmm. clingy... Mm-hmm. yucky mm-hmm. way but <laughs> but if if douglas could have loved anna back it could have been a magnificent love story i didn't love anybody but himself and then of what subsequently happens when he marries a white woman when he marries some other yeah a very <laughs> a very young one i think that's he gets him a new he gets a new fresh mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. yeah i am Always mm-hmm. side eyeing the men who go for young women. Always. Mm-hmm. And those pictures of not just her, but with her sister there too. 
I always have had questions about that. Nobody want to go there, but I don't know. Was there some poly activity going on? I don't know. Oh, this is historical tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, again, these photographs, there, there's this one photograph of him between the two sisters. Just saying. Okay, is that going to be your next book? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm working on something else. Can you tell us? Oh, sure. Yeah, American Daughters is um, slated to be released next fall. It is about the secret interracial friendship between Portia Washington, the daughter of Booker T. Washington, and Alice Roosevelt, daughter of Theodore Roosevelt. So these two men, you know, president of the United States and black president of the United States, had these similarly aged eldest daughters. Everybody knows about Alice and how uh, rebellious and stuff she was, etc. But she had a bit of a partner in crime um, in terms of that. And they struck up their friendship after the uh, horrendous explosion when Theodore, as the new president, after the McKinley assassination, had the nerve to invite Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House. How dare he? <laughs> it was a huge story. So in the wake of that, both of these rebellious young women decided to be friends. Uh, and yeah, it's quite a story. Does this book, Douglas's Women, does it influence how you write? I think so. And I think that when I think about uh, American Daughters and the idea that I think that that whole notion of one Black woman, one white woman definitely mm. um, influence it. Alice Roosevelt has had historical fiction written about her. But there's, I think, some things that they have not done regarding Alice that I wanted to take a stab at. So. Have you read other books by Jewel Parker Rhodes? Yes. She wrote another uh, historical fiction book about Marie Laveau that is also very good. Who's that? Marie Laveau was a, um, well, the larger culture calls it voodoo, but it's actually hoodoo. Uh, uh, great. Uh, from New Orleans, oh, okay. uh, etc. In terms of that, so yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. bet that's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I love finding authors where you read them and you immediately go, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna be a completist for this one." <laughs> yeah. What else? Did I, yeah. What else? <laughs> so, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Right now, um, I have Sister Mother Warrior by Vanessa Riley. What is that? Uh, uh, she has written, she wrote Island Queen last summer about mm. um, the mistress to uh, when he wasn't William the Fourth yet, but the Black mistress to her. So that was her, her book that she wrote last summer. But this is about uh, the women behind the Haitian Revolution. So it's about a mother and her daughter-in-law and how they, they were, you know, working behind the scenes in regards to the Haitian Revolution. Boy, you really do love those women behind the story Mm -hmm. situation. I do. They're so good. Yes. Yes. Do you think you'll stay in the historical fiction lane for a while? Or do you think you'll venture back into romance in your writing career? Well, I have. And say last year I wrote a contemporary romance called Sweet Tea uh, for Hallmark Publishing. But that was before the Anne Lowe book, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It was just last year. Uh And my Uh I just um, my mass market for that was released just yesterday so I'm 
really primarily going for the historical fiction type of stuff and with the occasional contemporary romance. That's what the plan is. Love it. I cannot wait to see what you do next. I love your book and um, I am just thrilled to have this chance to talk to you. Will you tell our listeners where they can find you and all your work? Uh, my website is Piper Hughley, P-I-P-E-R-H-U-G-U-L-E-Y.com. I uh, hang out a lot on Twitter, uh, which is <laughs> at Piper Hughley. Um, I also am on Facebook, which is Piper G. Hughley. And Instagram, which I'm coming to learn more about, which is Piper <laughs> underscore Hughley, unless someone else hacks me again. Ugh, I know so I went tiresome. through that too. It's exhausting. It's so tiresome. Yeah. I'm trying to hang in there with the Instagram, whatever. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. It has been a delight. I am such a fan of your work and I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to talk to me about because uh, this has been just great being introduced to this book and talking to you about it. I would love to, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today on the Best Book Ever podcast. Links to all the books we discussed are in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. If you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio so we can chat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with someone you love and rate it on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button. In addition to hosting this podcast, I am also the author of several contemporary romances, and because I contain multitudes, I'm also the co-author of a paranormal werewolf romance, all of which are available wherever you buy your favorite books. Even better, you can request them at your local library. And in case you are wondering, authors do get paid when libraries buy their books, and then you get to read for free. So it is a win-win situation for all of us. Please request the books that we discussed today at your local library so that others can discover them. Thank you, my friends, for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.